The death of John the Baptist at the hands of Herod Antipas is a very strange account for a number of reasons. The most significant being that Yeshua, or you may call him Jesus, isn't a character in the account at all, nor are any of the disciples. And John the Baptist himself hardly even makes an appearance. The uh, main characters are Herod Antipas, and he was one of the sons of Herod the Great, one of the sons who survived being the son of Herod the Great, his wife slash sister-in-law Herodias, and her daughter Salome. In a way, it reminds me more of Daniel 4, Daniel chapter 4, than anything else because we have an account from a bad guy, even though it's not in first person, like Nebuchadnezzar's personal account of being judged by Yahweh. This account, on the other hand, isn't about a prideful king being cut down to size for a few seasons, but about Herodian injustice. And so we have a brand new theme this week for Mark, because um, this is the very, it's going to be the very first passion narrative in the gospel, even though it's not Yeshua's passion narrative. It's included to give us a clue as to the future fate of Yeshua at the hands of the chief priests and the Romans. So let's name this new theme, the fate of God's messenger. And I didn't come up with that. That's, that's scholars do that. John the Baptist is the forerunner. And so we would expect them to share similar fates and we will see quite a few parallels. Now, let's read the account. This is Mark chapter six, starting in verse 14, and it goes all the way through to verse 29. This is actually a long chapter in Mark. Now, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus's name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, Ugh, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he'd married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. For Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias's daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist 
on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and, and his guests, he didn't want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Hi, I am Tyler Rosenquist, Tyler Don Rosenquist actually, and welcome to Character in Context, where I teach the historical and ancient sociological context of scripture with an eye to developing the character of the Messiah. If you prefer written material, I have five years worth of blog at theancientbridge.com as well as my six books available on Amazon, including a four-volume curriculum series dedicated to teaching scriptural context in a way that even kids can understand it called Context for Kids. I have two video channels on YouTube with free Bible teachings for both adults and kids. You can find the link for those on my website. Past broadcasts of this prog program can be found at characterincontext.podbean.com and transcripts can be had for most broadcasts at theancientbridge.com and I have a new radio show on Hebrew Nation Radio and um, also I have it on my podcast channel a, a different podcast channel and it's called Context for Kids and it's this stuff only it's for children so I take the scholarly stuff and I, and I make it I break it down much easier so I hope you'll check that out very excited about that all scripture this week comes from the ESV, the English Standard Version, but you can follow along with whatever Bible you want. A list of my resources can be found attached to the transcript for part two of this series at theancientbridge.com. Alrighty. First, I want to give you some of the backstory on this particular Herod, because there were a lot of them, and they were all named Herod. Well, they all had Herod's name like inserted in their name somewhere. Now, this man was already an adult when Yeshua was born, sometime around 4 BCE when Herod the Great died. His mother was a Samaritan. Her name was Malthase. Actually, I don't know. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. I've never actually looked. Now, Herod Archelaus was given half of his father's kingdom and Antipas, Herod Antipas and Herod Philip were given quarters of his kingdom. Herod the Great wanted Archelaus to be named king of Judea, but the Roman Senate would not name him anything except an ethnarch. Really, it's a fancy term for governor. Archelaus's brothers, Antipas and Philip, were named tetrarchs, because Herod's holdings uh, were divided into four parts, and they were each given one. Antipas was put over the Galilee, and Philip over the remaining land east of the Sea of Galilee. Archelaus was given two of those shares, having Judea and slash Idumea and uh, Samaria. But Archelaus was a beast, like father, like son. And or worse, Rome stripped him of power in the year 9 of the Common Era and took over personally um, through a series of governors, including Pontius Pilate. So these are not young men at this point. And Tepes actually uh, reigned 45 years until 39 of the Common Era. 
Now, Herodias, who was also the niece of all the sons of Herod the Great, was in her 40s at this point and had been married to Philip. Um, he was also known as Herod II, who uh, was not the Tetrarch Philip. And we have actually have no idea how old Salome was. She might have been in her early teens, but we do know that she herself later marries her uncle, Philip the Tetrarch, according to the historian Josephus, who is much to be trusted on his writings during this era. Josephus puts this account at somewhere between 27 and 28 of the Common Era, and, and he actually historically verifies it, um, which makes both he and Yeshua roughly 30 to 31 years old when lined up with the death of Herod the Great. So, you know, this syncs well with the outside accounts, um, even if it is entirely confusing because of the family drama. This is a severely inbred family. Now, Herod Antipas, like his father before him, was desperate to be accepted by the Jews. Herod the Great was an Idumean, a descendant of Esau, the brother of the patriarch Jacob and the son of Isaac. Okay, His grandfather, Antipas, and all of the Idumeans had been forcibly converted to Judaism during the time of John Hyrcanus, the son of the last of the surviving Hasmonean brothers. Um, that would be uh, Simon, who, um, who had led the Maccabean revolt a generation before. Now, his family became a favorite of the Romans, and they were given rulership over Judea under Julius Caesar. Um, talking about um, the family of Antipas, okay? Not John Hyrcanus. <laughs> he was long gone by the time the Romans took over. Now, because of this, the Jews saw them not as true converts, but foreign oppressors. And, and the way they lived, man, it did not help them out. They were ruthless, brutal, and lived more by uh, Greco-Roman uh, rules um, than by Jewish standards, okay? And they murdered one another at a rate that would make Livia blush. And Livia is the, son, is the wife of... Uh, she the wife or the mother of Augustus Caesar? It's I'm pretty sure she's the wife, and she was she was messed up. She was killing all her family members. Herod the Great tried to win the favor of the Jews by rebuilding the temple precincts in a glorious fashion. Caesarea Maritima was a glorious port city. Actually, the ruins are still there. Some of the stuff he built is still there. He was a credible builder. The Herodium. Masada, the cave of the patriarchs, etc., etc. He truly made Judea a wonder of the world architecturally. He was a bona fide genius. He was also just flat out insane in his later years. His son um, Antipas was also a builder, but he did some really stupid stuff. He built Tiberius in honor of the emperor. Um, Tiberius, but he built it atop a former graveyard, which meant that no Jews would be caught dead there. Ha ha ha. Okay. Bad joke. Um, 
you know, so he had to ship in pagans to live there. <laughs> Not the best PR move for sure. And now he committed like the grand kahuna of biblical transgressions, incest. He specifically broke Leviticus 18.16. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. This wasn't a Leverite marriage. Herodias had divorced Philip. Okay, <laughs> she she married his brother. She she knew who had a bigger slice of the pie. Anyway, so a prophet like John the Baptist cannot let this stand when this man rules over God's kingdom. Or God's people, excuse me, not over God's kingdom. Now, let's go through this section verse by verse. Uh, and I want you to notice a few things which I am not going to go into a lot of detail about. The difference between Herod's lavish feast with sinners resulting in death of the innocent versus Yeshua's modest feast with sinners resulting in life for the guilty. We're meant to compare the two kings and kingdoms. We'll probably cover this aspect more when we cover um, the Gospel of Matthew from the beginning. Um, let's see. Okay. Verse 14. And King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had been come known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these remarkable powers are at work in him. First word, um, first comment, quote-unquote King Herod. The Greek word is uh, basilus, which means ruler and not king. I have no idea why it's translated king when all he was was a tetrarch really chaps my hide, but, you know, oh well, I'll live. I mean, the whole reason he was deposed by Rome in 39 of the Common Era is because he kept insisting that he be called king and Rome got sick of it. You know, don't expect me to translate a Bible anytime soon and correct the problem, though, because, you know. Anyway, it says, when King Herod heard of it. Heard of what? Well, the last thing we heard of was the disciples going all out preaching repentance, like John did, anointing people, healing them, casting out demons. Oh, on my little scripture, it says basting out demons. That's an entire thing. That's another thing entirely. Now, at least six groups of them, plus Yeshua, that would have created quite the drama around the palace. And that drama comes by the way of the rumors that Herod is hearing. The rumors begin with the ludicrous notion that John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Obviously, people who didn't know either of them or their history personally because they'd both been in the same place at the same time, not only in utero, but also at Yeshua's baptism. But Yeshua really had come kind of out of nowhere. And John was a pretty big deal, plus a priest, and his father had seen an angel in the holy place while performing the menorah ceremony. And everyone knew that John never worked any miracles, but a resurrected John was something else entirely. A John that was raised in a new body had come back and had come back from Sheol, might have miraculous powers more than Elijah or Elisha after all. 
Okay, verse 15. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. So the rumors continued. Perhaps Yeshua is Elijah, who was considered to be the sort of patron saint of the poor and needy. Um, you know, Elijah was taken away by the chariots of heaven, and who knows what on earth happened to him anyway. Others wondered if he was one of the other prophets returned or maybe a new one operating in the same kind of authority. Either could be the translation of that final sentence as the Greek is not crystal clear. But unlike the scribes from Jerusalem, no one is questioning the source of his power and authority. They are all attributing it to God, who is the source behind John, Elijah, and the prophets. But what no one is saying is that Yeshua might be the Messiah or the Son of God. That's really important. They see a prophet, but disagree on identity, not his legitimacy as doing the works of God. Verse 16. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I have beheaded, has been raised. Herod Antipas isn't at all thinking in terms of God's power and authority, but in terms of his own fears. Remember that Antipas was only marginally a Jew and very much Hellenized. Heck, his psycho father was a better Jew than he was, and that is the saying much. When I read this, you know, it, it reminded me of that scene from Hamlet where his stepfather Claudius watches the theater troupe acting out the precise details of his murder of his brother, Hamlet's father. I mean... What is a raised person capable of anyway? Can you even kill them again? This is potentially some seriously bad mojo. And the word for raised is agero. You know, this is the same body raised, not reincarnation as an entirely different person. Yeshua and John were second cousins. Their mothers were first cousins. There might have been a strong resemblance between them since Mary's DNA wasn't diluted by Joseph's, okay? Yeshua would look entirely like her side of the family, in theory. It's probably all added to the confusion. But why on earth would Herod and Tepes be so paranoid that these miracles were coming from a risen John? As we will find out, Herod is possibly suffering from the Greco-Roman pagan belief that he is being haunted. And that wasn't just something Herod believed, either. When the disciples see Yeshua walking on the water, which we'll cover in a couple weeks, they believe he's a ghost, too. The other possibility is that Herod believes that God has vindicated John by raising him from the dead and gave him powers to boot effectively negating Herod's order of execution and upping the ante. That's actually way scarier because it meant that God would be totally gunning for him. Verse 17, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Now, we begin the sordid soap opera of the demise of John the Baptist at the hands of Herod Antipas, which is also documented by Josephus, the first century historian. But the details are slightly different. Again, like the Gerasene demoniac and the incidents with the woman with the issue of blood and the raising of Jairus' daughter, this is an, an 
This is unusual in that it reads with so many intimate details that it sounds very much like it is dictating an eyewitness account. Now remember, we haven't heard or seen from John since Mark chapter 1 verse 14. All this time, all the ministry and the miracles, absolutely nothing about John. So from this account, we don't know if John was executed right away or if it took weeks or months or a year or more from his arrest. We have no idea. Herod's fears are definitely in the present, but we have no idea how far back this incident occurred. We do know from Josephus that John was imprisoned at the fortress of Maharas, and uh, which had been which had a larger and smaller triclinium, which are the formal dining rooms, which are named after the three cline, the couches that were laid upon in formal Greek symposium dinner parties. This is important because it means that this fortress was set up for the women and men to have separate dining areas, which will make more sense later. But Mark 114 mentions John's arrest, and now we get the details of why that happened. It was on behalf of Herodias, Herod's niece, wife, former sister-in-law. Talk about wearing a lot of hats in a relationship. Now, she was the daughter of one of Herod's sons by his favorite wife, Mariamne, whom he was tricked into executing for treason and then he also killed her father and uncle shortly, you know, thereafter, you know, a few years before his own death, when she was just eight years old. You know, hey, you'd be messed up too, okay? Augustus Caesar actually said that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son, and that would, you know, they used to sacrifice pigs, so... Verse 18, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And John was absolutely correct. When Herodias and Antipas met in Rome and she divorced her husband in order to marry up, they broke Leviticus 18.16. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. It would be scandalous enough to merit a Jerry Springer show episode here in the U.S., <clears throat> but in a religious place like Galilee, for a Jewish, quote-unquote, wannabe king to break the incest laws and dishonor his still-living brother? This was bad even for a member of the Herodian clan. And, and you know all the people grumbled and gossiped about it, but to call him out publicly? No way. Except John the Baptist. He did. Yeshua didn't because he had a job to do and it was not his time to die. Things had to play out in a certain way and he allowed John to do John's job while he did his. It's a good lesson to us that we don't actually have to voice an opinion about absolutely everything all the time but to count the cost and act accordingly. Sometimes it's someone else's turn to do the talking and ours is to be busy doing something else. But there was more going on here, according to Josephus. When Herodias divorced her husband-slash-uncle-slash-future brother-in-law, oh, Herod Antipas divorced his wife, a Nabataean princess. 
Nabatea included modern-day Jordan and Syria, so this was no small alliance and no small danger when Herod sent his wife packing in favor of a more incestuous union. Frankly, in more ways than one. Herod had to be afraid of being conquered by Aretas, her father, which did happen in roughly 33 or 34 of the Common Era. And Josephus records that this defeat was considered to be God's judgment of Herod for his execution of John, who the Jews considered to be a holy man. Come back in a few minutes. And welcome back. This is Tyler Don Rosenquist, and welcome back to the second half of this week's context for kids, which is 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 Yeshua John the Baptist resurrected? That's that's what Herod thought, and we're finding out why Herod thought that, and why Herod was scared to the death about the possibility. Um, we had just talked about how uh, Josephus recorded the dilemma that Herod was in over marrying Herodias because he had booted to the curb his wife, who wasn't just any woman. She was the daughter of the king of Nabatea, which bordered on and even surrounded Herod's territories in some ways. <coughs> and um, when, uh, when her dad came after Herod, and defeated him in battle about three or four years after this is all happening. Um, the Jewish people believed that it was judgment for killing John the Baptist, because this is not a made-up story in the Bible. This is an established fact that John the Baptist was a real person. The historian Josephus flat-out wrote about him and praised him like crazy. Um, I think I talked about that in, in like episode three of this series on Mark. Anyway, you can go back and check it out on my podcast channel. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Uh, chapter six, verse 19, and Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death, but she could not. So, I mean, Herodias is like totally miffed. Okay. Like, yeah, no, I'm not to do a belly girl impression. I was, I was about to. In fact, she she has a grudge and wants John dead. I mean, I I have been angry enough to want people dead in theory before, but you know I never had the will to carry it out or the authority to do so. And so my enemies, you know, are pretty safe from harm. They were even safe from harm, you know, back before I was a believer and I was really wanting to do these things. But the text says she can't do it. Why? Verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Can I say right now that I hate how many he's are in? <laughs> he, 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 he. And it's not funny bad joke. Um, but, you know, you really have to be following along so you know which he is him. 
Yeah. Now, let it not be said that Herod Antipas wasn't a complex kind of dude. So he imprisoned John. And I don't want you to think of a sort of uh, jail situation where he'd already been found guilty. That wasn't how things worked. You were in jail until your fate was determined, and then they either killed you or fined you or enslaved you or whatever. But they didn't keep you in jail forever back in those days. Your friends and family were usually responsible for paying your upkeep while you were being remanded, which could take a very long time if the guy in charge is looking for a bribe, as we saw with Felix and Paul in Acts 24. <coughs> and Herod didn't just respect John, he was flat out afraid of him. He had at least enough sense to know that God was with John, and so he stowed him away and Mosheris, excuse me, to protect him from Herodias. This probably didn't make for a fun situation at home. Not only this, but evidently he really liked to listen to John, even though he really didn't get what John was talking about. You know, I suppose, given his, given his living situation, that he might actually have seriously been clueless as to what a ridiculous lecherous sinner he really was. He enjoyed his preaching, but he just couldn't have him do it publicly for fear of an uprising. But do you hear echoes of Jezebel and Ahab here? He's coming off as kind of pathetic, and she's coming off as very bloodthirsty, which she definitely was, but so was he. Um, But she had her limits, too, because if Herod Antipas divorced her, she would have no power whatsoever as, you know, who else is going to marry a woman in her 40s at that point? And it isn't like she'd be willing to marry someone of lower station, and she's running out of relatives. Okay, yeah, that was so petty. <laughs> okay, and I snorted. There's that. Verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Now, was this actually his birthday or the day celebrating his ascension to the throne? Could actually be either. Birthdays at this point were very new, um, coming into popularity only for the Caesars uh, and the deified members of their families. Before this point, the day of death was important. But the only times a birthday was memorialized is if there had been something celestial or some other historical event that was believed to be an omen. In a culture where 30% of babies didn't survive the first year, they weren't focused on such things. But after the death of Julius Caesar, uh, Augustus and the Senate had him deified and his birthday memorialized and Tiberius did the same for Augustus and etc. and etc. Now, would Herod Antipas be so brazen as to celebrate his own birthday? Would he even know what day his birthday fell on? I don't think so, personally. I think that this was a celebration of the day he came into his tetrarchy because that was far more important to rulers. I mean, in a, in a way, that was the day they really believed they, they came to life. Not really, but you know what I mean. The day that life began. Okay, 
or also it seems borderline blasphemous to celebrate your birthday when at this point the birthdays of royal family members were observed as imperial cult worship days for him to celebrate his birthday seems foolhardy to me putting on airs verse 22 for when herodias's daughter came in and danced she pleased herod and his guests all right much is said about this dance mark records this whole scenario in much greater detail than anyone else does but there's still a lot of eisegesis which means reading into the text that goes on first nothing says her dancing was lewd or lascivious it only says that she danced and pleased everyone so you know we've got to look at the situation would a princess know how to dance in a lewd manner would a herodian princess know how to dance in a lewd manner if a herodian princess knew how to dance in a lewd manner would they allowed her to do it to public in public i honestly don't know from an honor shame standpoint i would say absolutely not you know just look at what emperor augustus did to his daughter julia for lewd behavior and she was exiled 30 years prior to this event with salome you know he could have easily killed her but the herods were awful and tiberius was no augustus he was very different and a very depraved man pretty close to being replaced by caligula who just you know we don't need to talk about that so was the empire so debased at this point that a ruler's stepdaughter slash niece hard to keep track could dance in a sexual manner for a bunch of drunk courtiers and military men we can't rule it out but we can't say for certain either this isn't netflix you know netflix would allow it <clears throat> And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. If you have never noticed how much this story should remind us of Esther, I will tell you now. Herod's response to Salome, and Josephus names her in Antiquities 18.4, even though... The Bible doesn't. Um, his response to Salome is pretty much word for word what Ahasuerus uh, told Esther at the banquet right before she had Haman executed. Of course, that's where the similarities end because Haman totally had it coming. Here's where it gets disturbing. Okay, <laughs> like it wasn't already, okay? If her dance was lewd, is it possible that he was offering to give her her mother's place? He was already married to his brother's ex-wife, his own niece. How are, to be, how are we to be shocked if he would proposition his niece's daughter? Is it like they were adverse to marrying very young girls or family members in this family? Uh, or based upon her mother's response, he was maybe just making a grandiose promise in front of his guests with no such grotesque overtones. By all accounts, he was obsessed with Herodias. Now, I believe the latter, but these Herods are... You just so... Uh, you just never know, and we can never know for sure because it's not written down. 
the girl certainly shows no signs of having a clue one way or the other. She evidently hadn't given this much thought, but maybe someone else had. Verse 24. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. I am betting she is very young because, one, she is unmarried. Two, for a Herod, she certainly didn't already have anything in mind that she wanted. I mean, if the ruler of Galilee and a very wealthy man asked me what I wanted, I wouldn't be asking for a lifeline. I'd want my house paid off because, well, because I'm boring, actually. Um, but even though she seems to have danced without a notion in, in the world, any notion in the world about any intrigue, okay? Her mother immediately knew what to ask for. Remember I told you that the fortress of Matras had two triclinia, two dining rooms? That's why this account says that the girl went out to ask her mother. She went to the women's dining room and asks, and you can, you can just hear a pin drop until Herodias makes her pronouncement, and then it's like the music man. Pick a little, tuck a little, pick a little, tuck a little, cheep, 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 tuck a lot, pick a little more. Or that's the way I like to picture it, because it's more fun. And she came in immediately, with haste, to the king, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I'll give you this. The girl has a flair for the dramatic, because that's not what her mom asked for. It's a feast. So why not ask for his head to be presented as a main course for her mom, eh? And I'm not saying that her mom ate John the Baptist's head. Herod's were messed up, but I don't think they were that messed up. Now, and Josephus would have said something. Now, something interesting from Esther Rabbah 4.9 and 4.11, written sometime between uh, 400 and 600 of the common area, common era by the Babylonian Jews. So this is after the Mishnah, before the Talmud. Long after these events, and of course, the Mishnah is part of the Talmud, never mind. After the Mishnah, before the Gemara. <laughs> you know, long after these events, and so maybe they lifted what actually happened to Herod Antipas since he was hated and believed judge for killing John, who was greatly revered by the Jews. This is what they wrote about Vashti's fate. But remember, this is a midrash. It's not recording actual history or trying to write new scripture, but filling in the what-ifs in Bible stories in order to make a point. Extra-biblical Jewish writings are incredibly inventive in this way. 4.9. If it please your majesty, remember this is Esther Rabbah, if it please your majesty, let a royal edict be issued by you. He said to him, My lord king, bring forth the word from your mouth, and I will gather her head on a plate. And let it be written into the laws of Persia and Media, so that it cannot be abrogated. Rabbi Hanina, son of Rabbi Abahu, said, It is written, He injures, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands heal. In the language in which the kingdom was removed from her ancestor, which Samuel said to him, and has been given to another who is worthier than you. With the language in which the kingdom was restored to him, see it is written, and let your majesty bestow her royal state upon another who is more worthy than she. Now, if you really know your scripture, then you caught um, 
like four actual Bible verses in here with from different books. I mean, Esther, Job, First Samuel, okay? That's what they did. 411. The proposal was approved by a king by the king and his ministers. And he decreed and he brought her head on a plate. <sighs> so this is what they're saying happened to Vashti. Now, um, chapter 6, verse 26 of the Gospel of Mark, back to this. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. Oh boy, drunk men and their rash vows and their pride, right? It's Ahasuerus all over again, regretting ex exiling Vashti, not killing her, okay? Which, of course, you know, wasn't nearly so rash because she was still alive, right? But he values his reputation over this man's life. You know, Midrash would actually oftentimes just flat out disregard scripture. <laughs> um, a man he is actually scared of, he's willing to kill, okay? Because he knows that God is with him, but he doesn't want to lose face in front of such a large crowd and definitely not on his birthday. Exceedingly sorry, but not sorry enough to say he had his fingers crossed behind his back the entire time. And the phrase exceedingly sorry is one we see again when Yeshua is praying in Gethsemane before his arrest when he says to Peter, James, and John, my soul is very sorrowful even to death, remain here and watch. Okay, so remember, I told you that this was the first passion account, and it's hearkening forward to the second pet, well, to the the uh, the last passion account. Okay, Herod Antipas was indeed very upset, just not upset enough. Verse twenty-seven, and immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison. If they were feasting in Mataras, where John was in prison, this was easily done as it was a military fortress. It wasn't like they had to send horsemen out or anything. Verse 28. And brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. What strikes me most about this last line is how much more loyal John's disciples were in his death than Yeshua's were. None of the twelve, well, eleven, went for his body. Only Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus, who were disciples, but they weren't among the twelve. So, let's compare this to the upcoming passion story of Yeshua, because that is why Mark told the story. According to C. Wolf in his article, <laughs> I took German in college. <laughs> let's see how I let's see how I can do this. Zerbertung Johannes de Talfus im Marcus Evangeliums. I, don't, I can't remember if I did that right or not. We have the following parallels between John's passion and Yeshua's passion. 
I always knew that year of German in college would come in handy, but I think it was so long ago that it didn't come in as handy as I wanted. You know, it was 30 years ago. I I'm, bet I butchered it. Okay, so one, comparing John's passion to Yeshua's passion, which is actually no laughing matter. Um, we have an unjust arrest at the hands of corrupt Jewish officials. Herod Antipas was only Jewish in theory by the narrowest of definitions. He certainly didn't choose the life. Um, the chief priest and the high priestly family, on the other hand, were very Jewish, but they were in bed with Rome almost as bad as Herod, just in a different way. Two, a death plot against both men. Herodias against John, who is otherwise being protected by Herod Antipas, and the chief priest against Yeshua, whom we see sort of half-heartedly protected by both Pontius Pilate and Herod Antipas. Being protected by those guys was still horrific as it involved scourging and public humiliation, though. Not much protection. And in the end, you know, Pilate buckled. Three, the element of fear. Herod is scared of John the Baptist, and Pilate slash Pilate's wife, you know, they're, they're both scared of Yeshua based on things he says and a dream had by the wife of Pontius Pilate. Four, both men were executed due to public pressure. Herod because of his rash vow, and Pilate because the Jewish leaders threatened him that he was no friend of Caesar if he left Yeshua alive. And this was no small threat either. Both men caved to the pressure and went along with the executions. Five, we see further parallels in the burial accounts where the bodies are retrieved by loyal followers and placed in a tomb. So, these stories are tied together because the biblical messengers of God traditionally die in his service. Um, very few died in their beds, I imagine. It was true before the exile. And despite the Matthew 23 claim that the Pharisees and scribes were boasting that they never would have killed the prophets like their ancestors, we see that nothing has changed. They will kill the Messiah for the exact same reason that they killed the prophets. Rebellion against God and not recognizing his words of warning when they hear them. You know, here's the deal. There are two ways to be rebellious and not hear the voice of God. Before the exile, it was obviously idolatry and oppression and gross sin. After the exile, you don't have the idolatry per se, but you have an elevation of the Torah code above um, what God is speaking and doing through Yeshua, and more importantly, the elevation of their oral codes that were not yet written down over um, not only the Torah, 
but over um, anything that Yeshua could possibly say. I mean, wasn't it last week? Um, no, no, not last week. I just wrote it last week. Um, Mark 7, we're going to see that. That 67%, Jacob Neusner, which is one of the greatest rabbinic scholars um, ever to live and, and one of the most prolific writers about um, rabbinics, he said that roughly 67% of Jewish law concerned food and eating. And, uh, I mean, so they had this holiness code that was above and beyond that they they really expected people to toe the line on, and they took it very seriously when people didn't. So this was more important to them than the healings going on in the marketplace, marketplace but, but we'll see this soon. Um, but, um, so, they're the ancestors of those who killed the prophets, and, you know, John dies at the hands of Herod, of course, not um, not the J Jewish people, or not even the Jewish leaders. He is a Jewish leader, though, um, unfortunately. Um, but Yeshua is going to be killed by the chief priests in league with the Romans. Um, so, more than this, more than all of this, there's this ominous foreboding of what will also happen to all of the disciples who will be persecuted and or killed, and usually both. This is always the, on the expected menu for those whom God calls. We need to understand this and not have an expectation that God owes it to us to allow us to die in our beds, because these days we are so weak that we think being unfriended on Facebook is persecution. See you next week.